Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Okay. If you please stand as we uh, do our scripture reading this morning. If you'd like to follow along with the Bibles in front of you, it's page 1,218. We're going to be reading out of the book of James, chapter 3, verses 3 through 12. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning to be a part of this series and talk about a song that I love that you just saw there. And I'm also really, really amped up on caffeine this morning, like extremely amped up. So here we go. Um, so the song that you just saw there uh, is called uh, 10,000 Words. And it's by a band called the Avet Brothers. And before we dig into the song, which I think is brilliant, obviously, well, I chose it for this morning, um, I want to talk a little bit about this band, the Avat Brothers. Now, if you have an aversion to hyperbole, you might want to take a break in the lobby for a couple minutes or just hang out in the toy toy for a while because I'm going to lay down some serious hyperbole here. And that's because I love these guys. I love this band. Steph and I and our whole family does. They've become a bit of an obsession for us. Uh, lately, I discovered them a couple years ago. They, they've been around for a lot longer than that. Um, it's led Stephanie and I just to completely nerd out about them. We just have gotten into all of their music. Um, it's led to a lot of late night sessions where Stephanie and I are listening to their music and then contemplating the lyrics, which is very unlike us. We haven't done this with any other type of music um, or really any other kind of band. And it's also... They've become my Saturday and Sunday morning wake-up music. I don't know if you guys have this, but it's the music that I blast in my house to wake my kids up. Okay, I see somebody's like, oh, okay. It's a tradition that was passed on by my dad. who used to do it for us. And it's important that the music that's played has a nice joyful ring to it, that it, everyone wakes up kind of in that joyful mood, and it brings the weekend in, you know, brings it with a plum. Um, and so that, the Avet Brothers have become our Saturday morning wake-up music. Um, and they've become very special to us as a family unit. 
And this was very evident in our middle school family camp out last weekend. Anybody go on the middle school family camp out? Yes, it was fun. It was a great time. Just one person, one family here, the Feist. That's good. Just stay for 11, please. Um, we had a great time, but um, I was around our campfire one morning uh, at our campsite. And my daughter, our oldest daughter, Jovi, who's 10, was in our camp chair. And I was cooking, doing my best attempt at cooking breakfast. And um, as I was playing, I, I played one of the Avet Brothers songs on my phone. And Jovi kind of perked up and looked at me and said, oh, is that the Avet Brothers? And I said, yeah. And so I put my phone in the little cup holder on the camp chair. And she just rested her head down. She put her arm out and, and just rested her head down. And it was just a cool moment because I realized how comforting they, their voices and their music had become to her and to my family. And how they've become a symbol of just the goodness of life, of the comfort that comes or should come with being in a family. Um, it's just peaceful. And we probably all have music like this. For me growing up with my dad, who's right over there, by the way, it was James Taylor. So, yeah, okay. Anytime I hear James Taylor, I have a wave. Uh, I just have waves of good emotion come over me. Um, I still remember, I'll remember his songs my whole life. Secret of Life is enjoying the uh, passage of time. My dad used to always say that. Um, but I love that the Avet Brothers have become a symbol Um, have become that band for my kids that they'll always remember and will be special for them as they hear them later on in life. The Avet Brothers are um, Christians in a band. They're not a Christian band, per se, if that makes sense. But their lyrics and what they sing about springs from their faith, and it's obvious when you listen to them. And just what they sing about is real and honest and super earnest. Um, And I'm going to actually read you lyrics from a couple of their songs because, again, it's my chance to talk about this, and I love these guys, and I want to share it with you guys, especially if you haven't heard of these guys. I'm really excited to be able to introduce them to you this morning. Um, This first song is called Weight of Lies, and um, I'll just read the lyrics here. This this song is about um, the futile, how pointless it is to run from who we really are, how pointless it is to run from our lies, too, and our sinful nature, and it says... I once heard the worst thing a man can do is draw a hungry crowd, tell everyone his name and pride and confidence, but leaving out his doubts. I'm not sure I bought those words when I was young. I knew most everything. These words have never meant as much to anyone as they now mean to me. The weight of lies is the chorus. The weight of lies will bring you down and follow you to every town because nothing happens here that doesn't happen there. When you run, make sure you run to something and not away from because lies don't need an airplane to chase you down. And here's another song. It's called, this song is called True Sadness. And this is about the damage that's, uh, not the whole song, but this part of the song is about the damage that's den- done to young women in our culture with the prevalence of pornography and how we, uh, we as men objectify women so much. And it says, this is a part of the song, Angela became a target as soon as her beauty was seen by young men who try to reduce her down to a scene on an X-rated screen. Is she not more than the curve of her hips? Is she not more than the shine on her lips? Does she not dream to sing and to live and to dance down her own path without being torn apart? Does she not have a heart? So, again, these lyrics are unique. I feel like what they sing about so often is unique, and they're real, about real substantial things. And I believe God's truth just rises up through their music, especially for us 
um, and through what they sing about. And um, although they're not overtly evangelistic in what they sing about, they easily, and I know I can, I'm safe to say this with Stephanie, they have been one of the most spiritually forming forces for us and such a positive influence for us in the last couple of years. They've been together for a couple decades, like I said, since the early 2000s. Uh, they uh, started with just two brothers that you saw in that video up there. By the way, that's the, as far as I could find, that's the official music video for that, that song, which tells you all you need to know about, to me, how great they are. That, their names are Scott and Seth Avet, and they're from North Carolina originally. Um, over the years, they've added other members to their band. But, and one thing that makes them so unique is how much they seem to care about each other as a band. They enjoy being around each other. They have the uh, respect that shines through. They, they come across as a loving family who happens to make music as opposed to coworkers who tolerate each other. Um, I cannot highly recommend enough a documentary that was made last year about them, and it's called May It Last. And I'll, we'll, I'm going to go ahead and play the trailer for that. It should be like... Uh... If you're looking for truth, I'm proof, you'll find it. If was anyone that I wanted to start a band with, it was Scott. There are all these bonds that become established when you're children. There ain't no man can't save me. There ain't no man. We're just hillbillies. We just we were self-centered hillbillies who thought the world was gonna either come to us or not. And either way, they were missing out. Ain't nobody here. We went from playing like a couple hundred people, and then it was like two thousand people. And you could just see like more and more and more people coming out all over. If you're looking for truth, I'm proof you'll find it there. We've been accused of being fatalist as a band, but we've seen enough tragedy in our lives, and we know the tragedy comes from out of nowhere. We are kind of at a crossroads where we could take one or the other. Do we turn and, and explore? I'm not a fire. Something better. I'll never fail to look back across here. Appreciate what we got. You and me both, Pops. Last spring, there was a one-night showing of this documentary downtown that Stephanie, myself, and my, my parents got to go to, and it was such a great time. It really felt like it just injected me, and I know them as well, with hope. And it was really a refreshing time in front of a movie screen, which isn't always the case, as we know. Um, I recommended it to everyone I knew once I saw it. And one of my friends um, said that he watched it with his wife, and he turned to her at the end and said, we need to watch more stuff like this more often because of how good it was. And in fact, there's two documentaries that I've seen in the last year that have been incredibly uplifting for me. This one and the one that is out right now called uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is on the Life of Mr. Rogers. Anybody see that? It's incredible. Uh, You've got to see it. Um, I saw that at the Palladio and the theater I went into had a broken air conditioner, of all things. Um, but I sat there watching it 
I was just really moved by the life that Mr. Rogers led. His care for young people, his pursuit of the inherent God-given worth of all human beings was really moved me. Um, in fact, I sat there simultaneously crying and sweating my tukas off in that broken area. That was a unique experience. <laughs> Lots of liquids. Um, all right, let's, let's move on to the song itself, the Avett Brothers song, 10,000 Words, um, the, the topic at hand this morning. And there is a lot of stuff going on um, in this song. It covers a lot of ground. It hits on the, and, and I know Kim's going to just kind of scroll through the lyrics here, but it hits on the importance of, uh, of the, the importance of pursuit of truth over the trivial things of this world. It hits on depression and crippling narcissism. And crippling narcissism always seems to go hand in hand with depression. Um, it talks about the cruelty we often display towards each other, even with, amongst friends. But the biggest theme is in the chorus, and I just love it. Let me get to it here. And it is, once I find it. The chorus is, ain't it like most people? I'm no different. We love to talk on things we don't know about. And let me just say it again so it sinks in. Ain't it like most people? I'm no different. We love to talk on things we don't know about. This chorus is, for me, a bit of a truth bomb when it goes off internally. We live in times where it's seemingly, and I hope you agree with me on this, everyone seems to have an opinion about everything. And not only does everyone seem to have an opinion, everyone seems extremely motivated to get their opinion out, to share their opinion. We're living in times where people are drawing very rigid lines in the sand where tribal affiliations, our tribes become more important than principle and truth, where people seem to be seeking to own other people, especially if you're online a lot, or troll, as they say, other people, in order to win. And in all this, being right seems to be the goal. And this fills our lives with noise, just, just a ton of noise, from social media, of course, from media, from our friends and family, from our coworkers. But this noise that it fills our lives with um, is often accompanied by uh, anger, like bitter anger. It's obviously not the way of life that God has for us. It's not what Christ intended for us. It's not what he called us to when he came down to earth to show us how to live. And it makes me want to run to the wilderness and spend a few days every so often. Or to find a dark closet, spend a couple of days in there. Or buy one of these, which is called a pause pod. How great is this? Okay. It was an item that was on Kickstarter. And it's just something where you can lay in. And it's a little, it was super cool. Problem is they didn't turn a profit. And they had to fold up shop right before I ordered one, which was super disappointing. wanted one so bad. It's important for, for me to know that you understand that I'm not exempting myself from these things. I'm just as guilty, if not more so. Um, I, in fact, I drive myself crazy all the time with my opinions, with my criticisms. And if you're like me in that, then your abundance of opinions annoys you and exhausts you as much as it does me. If I'm not intentional with how I'm living my life when it comes to these things, then my default is, to, for me personally, is to become very much critical of really everything that I don't agree with. 
One thing I've learned from when I'm being, when I'm in this state of being overflowingly critical is that it has very little to do with the object of my criticism. It has very little to do with what I'm criticizing and has everything to do with me, what's going on inside me, the state of my soul. To frame it differently, I think it, there's probably a direct correlation between how insecure I'm feeling at any one time with how critical that I'm being. And this is obviously unhealthy. Duh. And it is, for me, it's miserable at times. And it forces me to face this fact that a critical state of being is corrosive and exhausting on a soul level. Um, so for college, my college experience, I did Folsom Lake College the first year. This is back when it was just like 12 portables over there, and it felt like an extension of high school, and now it's darn right awesome. The second year, I went to Sierra College, so I could, it felt more like a college campus to me. And then I transferred to UC San Diego. And my first year down in San Diego was really a hard year for me. I was lonely. I had doubts in my faith, really significant doubts for the first time. I went into a pretty significant depression um, that was hard to get out of. Um, I also was, weird things happened this year. I was assaulted. I was physically assaulted on a beach late at night by four guys. There was just a lot of chaos that happened in that year. It was a hard year. And I started attending InterVarsity. You guys know InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, yeah, which Sean Young works for, um, which was awesome. Um, but I remember going to the weekly meetings at InterVarsity and being in this chaotic place internally. And when the worship music would come on, I would look around the room at everyone worshiping and they'd, ha- they'd be really into it. Some of the people would be really into it and they'd be raising their hands. And I just remember thinking, what a bunch of frauds. You know, these people are putting up a front. Uh, they don't really believe this. They're, they're pretending to be something that they're not. The second year I was in San Diego was totally different. I, uh, thanks to InterVarsity, to be honest, I discovered Jesus in these really amazing new ways. Um, I can't, oh, my phone is talking. Uh, well, sorry, one second. This is embarrassing. Okay. Sorry. I have a, an alarm that's jungle sounds. And it is, uh, I'm like, where are those jungle sounds coming from? Okay. Woo! Okay. So I discovered Jesus in just really great ways the second year. And, and I came out of my depression um, and life was, was really good. It was really a sweet year for me. And when I went to InterVarsity that year, my weekly meetings, totally different experience for me. When I looked around the room when people were worshiping and had their hands up, I felt their genuineness. I felt their sincerity, and their, their experience of worship encouraged me to worship. Now, they're the same, but those two years, I was very much different. What it did is this you know, epiphany, light bulb, whatever you want to call it, crystallized in my head that, that the judgment and the criticisms I had had the year previous had nothing to do with those people and really had nothing to do with the truth of the situation at all. It had everything to do with me, the state of my own soul, my own struggles. That's what it was about. When I'm in a critical state, I, am, I feel disconnected and unable to live in humility. I sit on the throne of judgment, which is really reserved only for God. As Moshe um, Moshe is a Jewish shopkeeper that we always visit um, in Israel, in Jerusalem. And he always says this, and I think it's brilliant. He says, if God does not surprise you, then you're not following God. 
because when God, when we're sitting on the throne of judgment in our life, God becomes very small and definable and, and easily boxed in. And that's not who God is. Like God could ever be easily definable or, or very small. In all of my struggles with this, one thing that has struck me is how much my soul yearns for peace and shalom. I'm so tired of noise, criticisms, and opinions. And a lot of these opinions, I think we can all agree, if we're being honest, they really don't mean much of anything. And like the Avet brothers say in this song, we love to talk on things we don't know about. And when we talk on things constantly that we don't know about, it corrodes things. It divides us. It fills wonderful silence with a bunch of horrible noise. And in all this, I've also realized how much my soul, and I don't know about you, my soul is desperate for civility. But not only civility, maybe round that out a little more, civility, goodness, kindness, gentleness, grace, purity, love. And I think that's why I've been so drawn to things like the Avet Brothers and Mr. Rogers documentary and CBS Sunday Morning, which is one of my favorite. Anyone else like that show? Okay, I like it. It's uplifting, it's calm, it's civil, it hits me in a spot that I just love. Uh, all this reminds me of Philippians 4.8, which says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I long for these things, civility, kindness, gentleness, grace. I, I don't experience them enough. I don't know about you. I think they're wonderful gifts and ways of living that God has given to us. He's called us to, to live in these things. And these are what should define us as a Christ follower, these characteristics. But they don't often describe us or define us. These, they should define us instead of being right or maintaining power, political or otherwise. And again, our world is desperate for these things. But we often seem too busy focused on being right to share them with others or even to experience them ourselves. But I want to I actually take a little bit of a deeper dive into this whole topic of um, civility because it's an extremely important topic, I think, and it's nuanced. Um, and we're called to it. God calls us to it. But it's too easily dismissed as, oh, being civil, it's, it's as weakness maybe or... But, well, civility means we're not standing up for the truth and conviction or it um, endorses relativism, which is not the case. Um, consider what uh, Professor Richard Mao says is in his book, Uncommon Decency, uh, when he says, being civil doesn't mean that we cannot criticize what goes on around us. Civility doesn't require us to approve of what other people believe and do. It is one thing to insist that other people have right to express their basic convictions. It's another thing to say that they are right in doing so. Civility requires us to live by the first of these principles, but it does not commit us to the second formula. To say that all beliefs and values deserve to be treated as if they were on par is to endorse relativism, a perspective that is incompatible with Christian faith and practice. And, and I think we can all agree, too. Opinions and judgments are not all inherently bad. And they're kind of unavoidable, too. And, and, and Richard Mount talks about this as well when he says, Christian civility does not mean refusing to make judgments about what is good and true. For one thing, it really is, 
isn't possible to be completely non-judgmental. Even telling someone else to, that she is being judgmental is a rather judgmental thing to do. And the Bible calls us to exercise judgment about questions of truth. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. 1 John 4.1 says, Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And at the same time that those verses are true, there's also verses that seem to push in the very opposite direction, especially in the New Testament in Jesus' times when he tells us, do not judge so that you may not be judged. But while they, these verses may appear to be at odds with each other and moving in opposite directions, I don't think they are at all. This is what Jesus was talking about with judging in Matthew's account. He was calling out hypocrites, people who criticize others while not recognizing their own faults. In Luke, he's referring to people who criticize people with a condemning and unforgiving spirit. And a great way for us to think about this even more is to ponder or think about the meal that Jesus shares. And it's in, um, it's in Mark chapter 2 and in other places. He shared a meal with Levi the tax collector, prostitutes, and sinners. Um, when Jesus sat down at the table with tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes, he was not condoning their sin. He was not endorsing their sin. He loved them, the people at the table, in spite of their sin. He refused to define them by their sin. Instead, Jesus defined them by their value and potential, which I think is awesome if you think about that for a second. Jesus defined the people at the table by their value and potential, and he literally calls us to do the same today. Every summer, uh, Stephanie and I, when we've been leading teams, we've led our, our, our teams through the book of Mark. We've done a manuscript study, is what it's called. It's just a lot of fun. And I love this story in the second chapter of Mark about Jesus eating with these people about the meal. And I love to challenge students to think through the disciples' perspective. Because the disciples were there. They were in that room. And they were watching Jesus eating at this table. And it's fascinating to think through their eyes what they saw what they felt in that. And that's actually a fun exercise to do throughout the, all of the Gospels is think through the disciples' perspective. But I think for the disciples as they're sitting in this room and Jesus is sitting there at this table, this must have been very hard for them, difficult for them. Because here's Jesus at a table with people that they more than likely did not like or were very critical of. And, and for an example of that, we just need to think about the tax collector, Levi, who's sitting at the table. Mark tells us that Levi was down by the sea or by the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And that means that he was more than likely collecting taxes from fishermen. And we, of course, know that a lot of the disciples there were fishermen. So they would have known Levi, and I guarantee they wouldn't have liked him. Tax collectors at those times were Jewish people who worked for the Romans. They collected taxes for the Romans who were in charge. But they also were allowed to collect above and beyond what, they, what Rome required them to collect in order to fill their own coffers, in order to pay their own salary. And there was no set price that they could take, so this was obviously abused by the tax collectors. So they were hated. Hated. They were like Benedict Arnold's of their time, of their culture, and they were despised. And yet here Jesus is sitting at a table with a breaking bread, which was an act of intimacy and extreme significance back then breaking bread probably laughing interacting with Liza Minnelli hold on one second okay here's Jesus interacting with and 
and probably, like I said, laughing with, and, um, with people that they despise, with people that they probably don't think well of. Imagine what Jesus is teaching them, the disciples, in that moment, because it's really great. And a great way to think about this, too, is just think about someone you hate. I mean, hopefully you don't, but we're human, right? Think about someone you absolutely despise, or even the thought of them makes you go, and then imagine Jesus being at a table breaking bread with them. And whenever I do that, that brings this home to me. He's calling us to love those people in spite of how we may be different or in spite of our disagreements with them. This is a, a, radical, a radical way of living. And he's calling us still, this day, to be radical like that. He's a bold, he was a bold risk taker. And his kingdom that he brought to earth runs counter to so much of that culture back then. And it still runs countercultural in so many ways. Jesus really was a radical who loved people in such radical ways. And again, he calls us to be that and to do that. But I think what's amiss today in our culture, in my opinion, is that so much of the Christian world, and more recently the evangelical world, uh, is leaning too much towards criticizing others with a condemning and unforgiving spirit, while cutting out the most important thing of all, which is, of course, love. When we focus on the value and potential of the person across from us above everything else, then that is an amazing example of love in action, true love in action. But it is hard or impossible to see the value and potential of the person across from you if all we see is an other or an opponent or someone that we need to defend or feel like we need to defend ourselves from. And I hope you agree with me. I think there's an abundance of defensiveness in the Christian world right now. Like we've been digging into a bunker to protect ourselves from the attacking forces. But just what are we afraid of? Why do we seem so, why are we so seemingly feeling so threatened? If Jesus is our rabbi, if Jesus is our Lord, then this kind of bunker mentality can never be how we seek to live because that is not how Jesus lived his life. And that bunker mentality, I do, do not believe, springs from a noble defense of conviction and truth like we present it to, to so often. Instead, I believe more often than not, it comes from a desire to be right. And being right is not the goal for us as Christ followers. It can't be, it just simply cannot be at the heart of how we do life or interact with people. It's not the end, and it's a super unhealthy way to live. When our focus is just primarily on being right, we also tend to seek out other people who confirm what we believe or confirm what's called confirmation bias. And I, I looked this up as a fascinating concept. I mean, it's, it's kind of an obvious concept, but confirmation bias is the tendency to search for, interpret, favor, and recall information in a way that confirms one's pre-existing beliefs or hypotheses. Or a different way of saying it would be, once we've formed a view, we embrace information that confirms that view while ignoring or rejecting information that casts doubt on it. And you know what happens? It's obvious what happens in all this is truth just gets lost. And this is what social media seems to be founded on, right? We have control of our own accounts, our own little kingdoms. We control the inflow of information and the outflow of information. And a lot of times we pass along information that has been specifically made to confirm our bias. We fashion ourselves into experts about topics that are incredibly nuanced and complicated, 
that we probably, in most cases, don't have a mastery of the topic. And I'm talking to myself. This makes things extremely dysfunctional. And in all of this, the people that we're interacting with, they don't become people anymore. They become um, competitors, people that we're competing with. It depersonalizes them. And by depersonalizing them, it's depersonalizing us. And it creates an us and others dynamic. It moves us away from the mutual submission that Jesus brilliantly called us to when he called us to love God, love others, and die to ourselves. When we're competing with somebody else or any, or any group of people to be right, then we have strayed from what Jesus called us to do. We have strayed from the amazing vision of the communion table that we see in Mark 2, where everyone is invited to the table and everyone's equal at the table. Everything that divides us there is gone. Too often our need to be right has nothing to do with God's truth and righteousness and everything to do with our pride and vanity. Um, so um, I want to kind of end today with just some, well, what can we do about this? How can we attack this? And just a few things, and you can add to this uh, however you like. Um, number one, take a vacation from being an expert. And I, I always, whenever I see take a vacation, I think of one of the best movies ever made, What About Bob, Dr. Leo Marvin, take a vacation from your problems. Um, Everyone today seems to be so certain about everything. The Internet has partially done this, right? Darn Wikipedia. Uh, everyone fashions themselves an expert, and this lacks humility. It, again, it obliterates the nuance of these topics, and it's exhausting way to live when you're always an expert. So my encouragement is, and for me, take a vacation from that exhaustion and just step away. Number two, shift your focus from being right to curiosity and wonder. Again, it's exhausting when you're always seeking to be right. And that energy is precious, right? Our life is short, and it's too short to spend all our energy in trying to be right. And so let's take that energy in trying to be right and invest it in other good things, <laughs> like how amazing this world is that we live in. Um, next one, talk less and listen more. This is kind of a no-duh. Uh, pretty self-explanatory what to do here. Speaking less and paying attention to your inner soul and your inner life is an ancient practice that has been paying dividends to people for centuries. But I need to, to make a note here because we can't use this point of talking less and listening more as a, as a cop-out um, because there are things that we are absolutely called to, to speak out on, I believe, as Christ followers. Um, we are called to speak up for the oppressed. Uh, we are called to use our privilege to stand up and defend those who don't have the same privileges. We're, we are called as Christ followers to stand for the truth. But we need to be careful there because the problem is that often um, what we present as God's truth has been corrupted by us, by our pride, by our brokenness. And then what we present as God's truth actually is our truth. And this is where humility is essential. Next one, um, practicing the discipline of not having the last word. Oh, this is a practical exercise, but if you can do it, hard to do, easy to say, hard to do. If you can do it, it pays immediate dividends, I believe. When we give up the rights to have the last word, we practice practically putting our trust in God instead of being right. And it demands us to be mature, which is hard for me, but it demands a maturity that leads to growth. Again, before we close up here, it's important to me that you know that I'm not just pointing the finger here, and I hope it doesn't, I hope, sure hope it doesn't come across that way. 
Preparing for this talk was super humbling for me, for me to consider how much I, I struggle with this topic. And I think that's why I was drawn to this song and why I love in the chorus that it says, ain't it like most people, I'm no different. We love to talk on things we don't know about. Um, it's not they love to talk about things they don't know about. I often find myself full of useless opinions. Hang out with me, you'll find out that's true. Very right? quick. <laughs> I, I, use, uh, I have useless critical judgments on things that I am nowhere near an expert on pretty much every day. I am no stranger to confirmation bias, as, as all of us here probably are. I know when I have all this nonsense swirling inside me, this criticism, my opinions, all this stuff, having to be right, um, I know that I'm not close to what God has for me in my life when I'm in that place. He is calling me to something different. I know in my bones he's calling me to something different, something better. And thank goodness he's calling me to something better than that. All of this gives me a deep desire to surround myself in silence to something different. But not necessarily literally silence. Literally silence. But yes, sometimes literally silence. I long for it. But more the kind of silence that... that um, in our soul. There's that inner peace that comes knowing that God is ultimately in control. It's his truth, not ours. And he's sovereign. And I can take amazing peace and experience shalom through that. And it's the type of peace that I think bursts through nature. It's all that surrounds us in nature. And that's why we're going to end today with a clip from my fa second favorite TV show, CBS Sunday Morning, because my first favorite TV show is California's Gold with Huel Hauser. Anyone? <laughs> Fantastic. That guy. Oh, he is awesome. Um, at the end of CBS Sunday morning, they show, usually show a nature sequence. There's no words. Um, and it's usually pretty short. In fact, I always, when it ends, I go, oh, come on, just keep playing it for a little while longer. Um, but it, there's something about it that they just love. It's so countercultural. It's peaceful. It's calm. It's, it makes me ponder how amazing God is and what he's created. And I love it. It's partly why, you know, I love that show so much. And that brings me to the last point, pursue silence. This is a radical idea in our super noisy world, but we absolutely need silence. It's good for us. And if what I've said today resonates with you, and I hope it has, I'm betting your soul desires silence as much as mine does. One of my favorite verses is Ecclesiastes 5.2, and it says, God is in heaven, and you are on earth, so let your words be few. And I love that. So we're going to watch this to close up, and it's going to be about a minute and a half long, which may not sound long, but when there aren't any words, it is. So try to relax and just soak up what you see, and we'll close up. We leave you this Sunday morning with a look at springtime in Yosemite National Park.
Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your goodness, for who you are, for your truth. And Lord, um, we lean into your truth and who you are in spite of us and who we are. We thank you and we love you. Amen. Uh, There's going to be refreshments in the back and Hickory Breeze, my mother and father-in-law, will be playing music in the back as well. So hang out, meet someone new. Um, And as you go out today, may the power and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.